Well, this time we're going to take our Bibles. If you have your Bible with you, I invite you to turn with me over to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1, I've also printed out those scriptures for you there in your worship guide if you want to uh, just read them right there on the sheet that's been provided for you on the back page next to the song lyrics. I want you to begin this morning by simply closing your eyes for a moment and imagining that you were not able to see anything. Just close your eyes for a moment and imagine what it's like to not be able to see anything. And even as you do that, most of us this morning, we still can sense that light is filtering in over our eyelids because of the brightness of the sun. But if you can imagine absolute darkness, you would get a sense of what life was like for many years for a man named Bob Edens. You can open your eyes now, by the way. You don't have to keep them closed. In fact, don't keep them closed the rest of the service. Bob was blind at birth. He had never seen a sunrise. He had never seen the fall foliage back on the East Coast. He had never seen a green lawn. He'd never seen a rainbow. But then when Bob was 51 years old, he underwent a very complex surgery that gave him his sight for the first time. And when he woke up from that surgery and began to recover and was able to see for the first time, he literally could not believe his eyes. He said, I never would have dreamed that yellow is so yellow, he exclaimed. He said, I don't have words. I'm amazed by yellow. But he said, my favorite color of all is red. He said, I just can't believe red. He said, I can see the shape of the moon now. And I like nothing better than seeing a jet plane flying across the sky, leaving behind it a vapor trail. And of course, he says, sunrises and sunsets. And at night, I look at the, the stars in the sky and the flashing light. You could never know how wonderful everything is. Many of these things we just take for granted now. But for those that don't have sight, these are wonderful mysteries to be able to behold. Well, as we've been going through Ephesians chapter 1 these last few weeks, and as we continue our study here, we are beholding the blessings that are ours in Christ Jesus. The blessings like election, adoption, forgiveness, redemption, inheritance. And I hope and I pray for you that as we go through this passage, it's almost like we are seeing things that we've never seen before and we will see them with greater clarity and greater vibrancy so that we will give praise and honor and glory to God in light of all that he has done and all that he is. If you can grasp these truths, it will literally change how you live your life. It will fundamentally change your relationship with God and your understanding of why you are here, why you exist, and what God wants you to do. It also will give you much, much greater hope and joy, knowing that this world is not our home. Amen? Amen. This world is not our home. We have an eternal inheritance. We are just passing through, and we are looking forward to that day when all of these truths will become complete realities in the full sense of the word. We cling to these things now. Again, oh, praise God for our election and our adoption and our inheritance. But we are now just getting a foretaste of what will be ours completely one day in Christ Jesus when he returns. I'm going to once again read verses three through six for us as we then uh, unpack especially verse five this morning. Paul in his prayer says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing 
in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. Today, we're gonna focus in on that phrase there in verse five, that he predestined us for adoption to himself. And there's two facets of this adoption that I wanna point out to you this morning. First of all, we're going to see the blessing of adoption. After all, this is listed amongst the blessings that Paul is recounting that are ours in Christ Jesus. And then secondly, we're going to look at the benefits of this adoption because the blessing itself and the reality of adoption brings with it certain benefits that you may not even realize or have tapped into the full potential of. First of all, let's consider the blessing of adoption. I think we all know what adoption is, but let me just read for you a dictionary definition. Adoption is to take legally another's child and to bring it up as one's own. Now think of that as a spiritual reality, that God would take up another's child and would bring us up as his own. Another way to describe it is that it is an act when a person is given the legal status of being treated as the child of a parent with all the rights and privileges as though they were their biological offspring. This blessing is a legal declaration. It's a legal declaration where God has decreed something to be the case. He has decreed, he has announced that you, through Christ, can now be his child and heir. And in that sense, adoption is like justification. Justification is the doctrine where the God has declared us legally to be righteous in the eyes of God. Some people define justification, and it's helpful, that it's just as if we never sinned. Just as if we never sinned. And to think about that for a moment, all the sins that we have committed past and present, and future, all the offenses against God, all the transgressions and the wages of sin that we deserve, and then God would look at us and would declare us to be innocent of all of those offenses? It's amazing. That's a legal declaration. But friends, just as if we never sinned is not even far enough because justification teaches not only that God washes away our guilt and our iniquity, but then he clothes us with the righteousness of Christ. Sometimes we use the word imputation or crediting of Christ's righteousness to us. See, he doesn't just simply treat us as innocent of a crime, but now he credits us as though we have been perfect law-abiding citizens that are deserving of everlasting reward because he looks at us and sees the righteous obedience of Christ and he treats us as though we had been perfect in the eyes of God. That's justification, okay? It's a legal declaration that at the moment that you put faith in Jesus Christ, God, I know I'm a sinner. Please forgive me of my sin. Wash my sin away. Make me right in your eyes because of Christ's death and resurrection. When you do that, God credits Christ's righteousness to your behalf. And you are instantly seen by God through a legal act of declaration as being justified. It's an incredible gift. No wonder the gospel is called good news. 
If you can be credited, that's a legal declaration, but adoption goes even further. Adoption is where this righteous judge that has cleared all of your guilt and credited you with your obedience now says, I wanna take you home with me and adopt you as my own son or daughter. You see, adoption is, again, a legal declaration, but it's a declaration that has family implications. It's about relationship. God could have, in his grace, washed our iniquity and credited us with Christ's righteousness and then left us at somewhat of a distance. But instead, he said, I'm going to bring you home with me, and I'm going to choose to spend the rest of eternity with you as my sons and my daughters your family now. A couple years ago, my family had the privilege of going to the local courthouse and witnessing an adoption ceremony. It's a wonderful event, so heart-touching. We woke up that morning, we put on some nice clothes, we went to the courthouse, we sat in the waiting room after we went through security, and we waited for the family to arrive, and then the bailiff came and he opened up the doors and we walked into the courtroom. There we saw the mom and the dad who were members of this church. We saw this precious young girl that they had been caring for already for some two years. We saw the judge up there at his bench and the clerk asked them to raise their right hands and to swear an oath of testimony and honesty. Then they confirmed the names of the parents and the child. The judge shuffled some papers around on the desk. He asked a series of questions and then he pronounced that child to now be a full-fledged child adopted to these parents. It, it reminded me a little bit of a wedding where you go into a building and a declaration takes place where two families walk in and one family walks out. And in a similar way, two families walked in and one family walked out where that child was now treated as a legal heir and an offspring of that mom and dad. What a beautiful picture of love and affection and the gospel. But adoption is a legal declaration. We are already justified in the eyes of God through Christ, but now we are adopted as though we were God's children. And he treats us and calls us sons and daughters. Friends, this happened even before you were created. Much like election that we saw last week in verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse five says that he predestined us for adoption. Adoption was not a, a last minute thought of God. It was not plan B. It was not because he just simply took sympathy on us and changed his mind, but rather he had already chosen beforehand that he would do this. Predestined is a compound word in Greek. It comes from two parts, pro-orizo. Orizo is a Greek word meaning to ordain or to mark off. We've got a couple of surveyors here in our church and they spend a lot of time looking over paperwork or even going out into the field. Back in the olden days, they would have probably been using lines and ropes and now we have lasers and all kinds of sophisticated equipment. But it's fascinating how many times that the Bible uses surveying language. And this is another one of those where to ordain or to destine has the idea of marking off a boundary 
finding the edges and the borders and putting up stakes to appoint something for a specific purpose. That's the word orizo. It's used over in Acts chapter 11 to speak of the disciples when they heard about the famine that was going on in Jerusalem that they determined to send a gift to the saints in Jerusalem. They took compassion on them and they said, we've got to do something about this. Let's determine, let's ordain to collect some money and send it off to those people that need our help right now. But the word here we have is pro orizo, to determine or set a boundary ahead of time. God has predestined and chosen that he would set apart certain people to choose and elect them and then to adopt them as his own children. Romans chapter eight describes this as well. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So in other words, Jesus Christ is of course the son of God, but he becomes the firstborn of the Son of God, set apart and unique in his relationship because he is the eternal Son of God, the second person of the Trinity. But what blows our mind is to think that he is now the firstborn of God's sons and that any of us who trust in Christ also become sons and daughters of the same living God. He predestined us to be the first of, uh, that we would be following the first of many. And those whom God predestined, he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. So God is predestined. He has planned and set apart all of this to happen even before he made us. And friend, all of this happened in love. It happened because of God's great love. Notice the very end of verse four. You see those two words there? In love. Now, depending on your translation, that may appear as a completion of the previous sentence, or it may seem to be hanging like it's on the edge of a cliff actually connected to the next sentence. Keep in mind that when Paul wrote these words, that there was no punctuation, there was no uppercase and lowercase, usually. There were no verse numbers. Okay, those were added centuries later. So as the original recipients read this later, they read in verse four, he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself. And so scholars over the centuries have debated what does that little phrase in love belong to? Is it looking back that we are to be blameless before him in love, or is it looking forward that he predestined us for adoption in love? And I would suggest to you that it's the latter, and I think many modern translations try and capture that. You have this awkward little phrase here that doesn't seem like it has anywhere to belong because it comes after the period in the ESV, and yet it's the end of the sentence with no further punctuation. I believe the accurate way to read this and what Paul intended to say is really that verse five should begin before the word in. And it should say, in love he predestined us for adoption. I think that makes the most sense of what Paul is trying to say here, that it was in love that God chose us. Again, similar to what we saw last week over in Peter of how God chose us according to his foreknowledge. And remember what we said about foreknowledge? 
The foreknowledge is simply not just God knowing ahead of time what is going to happen, but God rather setting his love and affection on us beforehand. The knowledge is dealing with relationship and that God entered into relationship beforehand with his people that he would save us from our sins. So it's in love that God predestined us for this adoption. We see this taught in 1 John chapter 3 as well. Listen to the words of the Apostle John. He says, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called children of God. And so we are, he says. The reason why the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet even appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. And in that moment when we see Christ at the sound of the trumpet and the voice of the archangel, we will instantly be transformed into the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And we will be with him forever and ever. So we're not yet what we are to become. But it is in love that God has chose us and predestined us for this incredible truth of adoption. God didn't have to do that. To pardon us from our sin and wipe our slate clean would have been more than you and I could have possibly asked for. And yet God said, I'm not done yet. I'm going to now bring you into my family and seat you at my table and adopt you forever with my love. It's just absolutely unbelievable. And this is simply the riches of God's grace and his unquenchable love, a love which he prays for the church that they would begin to grasp the height and the depth and the length and the breadth of the love of God, a love which is incomprehensible. You think about the vastness of the ocean. You go out there to the beach and you look out there and as far as the eye can see, there's nothing but blue ocean. And you think this goes on for thousands and thousands of miles and some Three quarters of the entire globe is covered with this blue stuff we call water. And to think how deep it goes down, deep to where you can't even see light. Light can't even penetrate the deepest parts of the ocean. It really defies the imagination how deep and how wide and expansive the ocean is. And God's love is like that. That you can see a little bit of it. And as you dig into the word of God, you begin to realize just how much God loves us. And yet we cannot fathom the depth of God's love. It is in love that he chose to adopt us into his family and treat us as legal heirs to where now Christ is a co-heir with us in glory. What a blessing. Well, that's the basic reality of adoption, what we could call the blessing of adoption. But let's think for a few minutes about the benefits of the adoption. Again, when my wife and I and our kids went to that courtroom. We saw that child now legally declared to be a child of these parents. That child, that precious little girl, she suddenly received all the blessings that went with being a child of those parents. She was brought into their home. She was allowed to call them a term of intimacy, mommy, daddy. She was given her own bedroom. 
She was given clothes to wear. She was fed every day. That man went to work to provide for not only his wife, but for that child as though she was his child because she was his child now. And so we have the benefits that come with adoption. First of all, we have here the benefit of provision. You ever get scared about what's going to happen tomorrow? What's going to happen next week, next month? How are we going to get through this? What is God doing? Are you ever anxious? Are you ever uptight or worried? Well, some of us struggle with anxiety. And the Bible says that there is no need to fear. One of the great reasons that there is no need for us to fear is because God is our Father. And He loves us. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, When you pray, don't bother heaping up empty praises like the Gentiles do. For they think they'll be heard for their many words. But listen, he says, don't be like them for your father knows what you need before you even ask him. Isn't that just like a good dad to know his kids, to love his kids, to be thinking ahead of time about what their needs are, to have their best interests in mind. And it's okay. I enjoy my kids asking and I enjoy being a giver to them. But we don't inform God of anything he doesn't already know. He's watching you. He's hovering over here. He's walking with you every step of the way because he's your dad. He's your father. We don't inform him. We simply ask him and he delights to give us good things. Matthew 6 further on says, Therefore I tell you, don't be anxious about your life. Christian, right now, don't be anxious. Be anxious for nothing, it says in Philippians. Don't be anxious about what you will eat. Don't be anxious about what you will drink. Don't be anxious about your body. Don't be anxious about what you will put on. Jesus says, is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of much more value than them? So the doctrine of adoption reminds us that we can trust God, that he knows us, he loves us, he's watching us, he's caring for us. If he would go to the extent to send his son to die for us and then bring us into his family, don't you think he's gonna keep an eye on you and make sure you're okay? You may not always see him, but he always sees you. You may not always hear him, but he always hears you. And God gives us the eyes and ears of faith to trust that he is there and to know our good father is watching out for us. So be anxious for nothing. Be still, my soul. Trust in the Lord. When you are tempted to worry and be afraid, go back to this truth. But wait a second. In love, God has predestined me for adoption. What am I doing worrying right now? What am I doing focusing on all my problems and all these what ifs? I've got a good and holy father that has set me apart in love and he is going to care for me and my family. So we have the benefit of provision, but we have another benefit, the benefit of what I call indwelling, the benefit of indwelling. Who is it that now lives inside of us because of this adoption? It's the Holy Spirit, right? God has given us the third person of the Trinity, God's Holy Spirit to live inside of his people as a seal of our adoption and eternal inheritance. 
There is even more yet to come, but already God has given us a down payment of his love and adoption by giving us the Holy Spirit to live inside of us. This is described in Romans chapter 8, where Paul says, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you've received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry. Okay, so it's by the Holy Spirit that we can cry out to God, what? Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided that we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. So Paul says, life is going to be rough sometimes, and we're going to suffer, but that suffering is temporary in nature. And any suffering that we go through now is only preparing us for a further, greater weight of glory. And God has given us the Holy Spirit so that we are never alone. We are never by ourselves. God is always there. The Spirit of Christ dwells within his people. And that Spirit is is whispering, if you will. The Spirit is reminding you and testifying in your inner being that you are God's child. God loves you. God has adopted you. Everything is okay. You can go to the Lord day or night and pray, Abba, Father, you have intimacy and tenderness in this relationship because of adoption and because of the Holy Spirit that God has given to you. Oh, think of all the blessings that are ours because of the Holy Spirit. Of course, it's only by the Holy Spirit that we have new birth or regeneration, right? Jesus said that the new birth happens because the Holy Spirit has transformed us and changed our very nature. It's the Holy Spirit that allows you to open up God's word this morning and to understand it. Because apart from the Spirit of God, this this book would, would be too much for us to comprehend. It would appear as foolishness to us. The natural man can't appraise the things of God. The natural man can't understand the things of God. It's like a colorblind person trying to decipher colors. They're incapable of doing that because of their nature. And the natural person who has not yet trusted in Christ and had new birth, they can't understand the things of God. There's really smart people out there in this world, and some of them will read the Bible and say, well, there's a lot of historical value in this, but it doesn't make sense to me. Or, or, or I, I can't agree with this, and, and I don't agree with what it says about God, or I don't agree with what it says about the human condition and our need for salvation. There's a lot of people who are smart from human perspective, that can't make sense of the Bible. You know why? Because God hasn't given them the ability to do so. We've got to have God's help, his assistance, in order to understand this book. And that comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. You wonder why you share the gospel with a friend and they just look at you with this glazed over look of like, I don't know what you're talking about. And you're like, yeah, but it's right there in front of you. Can't you see it? If any would believe in him, they will have eternal life. And they're like, I, I just, I can't do that. I don't understand. Why? Because they need the spirit of God to open their eyes and for the scales to drop off. They, friends, are spiritually blind and they're being led and deceived by the enemy. You know what I say to people like that? I say, you're exactly right. You can't understand this. You need to cry out to God to give you eyes to see and ears to hear because it's right there. God has made it clear, but we must humble ourselves before him and ask for him to help us understand. Even faith itself is a gift 
faith is a gift. You can't just work hard to believe. God must give you the ability to believe. And if you ask him, he will grant that gift to you. So we have the benefit of indwelling, which again, it brings regeneration. Uh, The Holy Spirit brings illumination. The Holy Spirit brings spiritual gifts, which he calls us to use in the local church that every single one of you, if you've trusted in Christ, you have a gift today that God wants you to use to bless other people around you. We have the gift of the fruit of the Spirit, right? We as Christians are to be people of love, joy, peace, patience, self-control. How are we gonna do that? Well, God says he's gonna give us the equipment necessary. He's gonna give us the batteries, the power that we need in order to bear this fruit, and that is the Holy Spirit. It's the fruit of the Spirit that is bearing inside of you as you're abiding in Christ and his word. We have, again, the seal of our redemption and a peace that passes understanding because of this Holy Spirit. Oh, the blessings that are ours through adoption and through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit could go on and on and on. But there's another blessing, and that is the blessing or the benefit of adoption, excuse me, the benefit of security. Another benefit of adoption is the benefit of security. Some people struggle with a sense of assurance. Am I really saved? Or if, is it possible that what I did has somehow caused me to lose my salvation or disqualify myself from salvation? Could I lose this gift that God has given to me And the answer is no. If you've trusted in Christ, you have been adopted. And there is nothing you can do to lose that adoption and that inheritance. You say, well, what about the person that walks away from the church and denies Christ? They're called apostates. Apostasis is to turn away from and move in the opposite direction, to deny what you once claimed to be true. Well, John says in 1 John that those who went away from us, it turns out they were never truly of us. So the reason that somebody becomes an apostate, God forbid, it's a horrible, horrible, heart-wrenching thing when somebody denies the faith. But Paul saw it time and time again. John saw it time and time again. Even one of the 12 disciples became an apostate, Judas. It happened in the past, it happens in the present. It's it's a horrific, heartbreaking thing. But friend, when that happens, make no mistake, they're not losing their adoption. They are showing through their fruit that they were never truly called and adopted to begin with. Because adoption means that you have been sealed by Christ through the Holy Spirit forever and ever. And you cannot lose that gift. Boy, I'm thankful that my salvation does not depend upon my performance either earning it or keeping it. From from beginning to end, salvation is all about grace. And we have the benefit of security. Listen again to Romans chapter eight. Paul says, we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. It's It's hard for our wives to bear children. It's hard to watch. Can't even imagine what it's like to go through. But the Bible says that this world is in labor right now. This world is groaning and contracting and struggling because the day is going to come where Jesus Christ returns again. And in the meantime, we see creation groaning as though it was giving birth. 
waiting for the second coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says again, not only is creation groaning, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. So we are declared to be adopted, but we are also awaiting our adoption. How is that working? Well, we've already declared to be adopted as children of God, and he's given us the seal of the Holy Spirit, but we are waiting the full reality and all of the blessings, which includes our glorified bodies. He says we're still waiting for that aspect and benefit of our adoption and what assurance it should bring, what security should be ours to think that God would choose to make us his family Later in Romans chapter eight, in fact, I think Cole read this for us last week, who shall separate us from the love of Christ, right? When you see a mom and a dad adopt a child, it's one of the most beautiful, tangible pictures of the gospel. Is there anything that could separate that child from their parents' love? Absolutely not. And yet if we've been adopted by God, as it said previously in Romans eight, now he comes down, all of this is flowing out of the doctrine of adoption. Who can separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake, we're being killed all the day long. We're regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, he says, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. And how did he love us? He loved us by adopting us. For I am sure, Paul says, that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did he miss anything there? I don't think so. I think he covered it all. Life, death, angels, demons, things present, things come. Oh, and anything else in all creation, he says, is incapable of separating us from the adoptive love of God. We have the blessing of provision in a good and loving father that will take care of his children. We have the blessing and benefit of indwelling that he's given us the Holy Spirit to to hold us over as a down payment until the fullness of our adoption and uh, glorification takes place. We have the, the blessing and benefit of security that we can have an utter sense of peace as a child who is adopted can lay down their head on their pillow at night and know everything's gonna be okay because now I'm part of the family and I have a mommy and a daddy that love me so we can say everything's gonna be okay. God loves me. He's given his son for me. Nothing can separate me from his love. So let me close with this, friends. There's an excellent chapter by J.I. Packer in his book, Knowing God. And the title of the chapter is Sons of God. I commend it to you, Sons of God. Maybe even take some time, if you have that book by Packer, and read that today or this week and just continue to ponder and meditate on the doctrine of adoption. Packer says that there has been a lack of emphasis on the doctrine of adoption. Very few books have been written on it since the time of the Reformation. Justification is extremely important. It was really front and center at the Protestant Reformation, but somehow adoption sort of drifted off to the side and has almost been forgotten about. He says we need to reclaim this doctrine of adoption. And he gives a series of questions that we can use for self-examination. I'm just gonna read through some of these. 
And it seems to go on and on with the greatness of God's love and the security that is ours in Christ. But listen to some of the implications and the questions that become ours because of adoption. He says, do I understand my adoption? Do I value it? Do I daily remind myself of my privilege as a child of God? Have I sought full assurance of my adoption? Do I daily dwell on the love of God to me? Do I treat God as my Father in heaven, loving and honoring and obeying him, seeking and welcoming his fellowship and trying in everything to please him as a human parent would want his child to do? Do I think of Jesus Christ, my Savior and my Lord, as my brother too, bearing to me not only a divine authority, but also a divine human sympathy? Do I think daily how close he is to me? How completely he understands me? And how much is my kinsman redeemer that he cares for me? He says, have I learned to hate the things that displease my father? Am I sensitive to the evil things to which he is sensitive? Do I make a point of avoiding them lest I grieve him? Do I look forward daily to that great family occasion when the children of God will finally gather in heaven before the throne of God, their father, and of the lamb, their brother, and their Lord? Have I felt this thrill of hope? Do I love my Christian brothers and sisters with whom I live day by day in a way that I shall not be ashamed of when in heaven I think back over it? Am I proud of my father and his family to which by his grace I belong? Does the family likeness appear in me? In other words, do I look like my heavenly father now? Do I look like a child of God now. And Packer concludes by saying, God, humble us. God, instruct us. God, make us his own true children. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you this morning for perhaps a reminder, but perhaps for some of us, it's like being able to see for the very first time the great benefits and blessings that are ours through our adoption in Christ Jesus into your family. Even this prayer began, Father. And we just glaze past that. We just fly through that so often. We, we, we go into prayer and we forget that this prayer relationship is itself an expression of us being adopted into your family. That we are the children of the King. And for that, we give you thanks today, Lord. Lord, help us to grow in resembling you. That when people see us, they would say, that, that man, that woman, that boy, that girl, they look like their dad. They look like their heavenly father that has adopted them into his family. We thank you for your love. We thank you for your provision. We thank you for the seal of the Holy Spirit that you've given to us that gives us a sense of security. We thank you, Lord, for the hope that we have that one day, we will be fully adopted and glorified and we will become like Christ because we will see him as he is. And as long as you keep us on this earth, Lord, let us never forget this wonderful, glorious truth of your adoption. We pray it in Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's broadcast of Feed My Sheep, a ministry of Crossview Bible Church in Yucca Valley. For more information, please visit www.crossviewyucca.org. We'd love to have you come and visit us this Sunday. 
We're located on Onaga Trail, just a half mile west of Yucca Valley High School. God bless and have a great week.